Well, I certainly want to thank you for the opportunity to share the Word of God with you this morning. I'm always amazed at Sunday morning worship. You know, we do it every week, and so often we take it for granted. But you understand how unique and wonderful a worship service really is. Because here are all these people from various backgrounds, from various walks of life, and yet we're all here with one voice singing praise, talking about the wonderful glory of God and the praising the Lord Jesus together, and later on gathering around the table. There is nothing like Sunday morning. It is like a shot in the arm to get us through the week, and, and I just thank the Lord for that, and I thank the Lord for the opportunity to uh, participate in the worship service this morning. This morning I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 116, but uh, first I'll begin with a story. Uh, one of the most memorable classes I attended in, uh, at seminary was one uh, where it was called Contemporary Theological Issues. And uh, it was an intense class. It was very interesting. We opened up with a discussion of what is truth, and then we moved on to a discussion of what is postmodernism. And then the third day of the class, the professor changed the whole tenure of the class, and he began to share his personal testimony. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was quite academic, but here, this, this third day of class, there was no academics, but rather he was sharing this experience that he had had in his relationship with the Lord. The class had become devotional, emotional. He began to share his personal testimony about uh, uh, how he was in poor health at one time. He was a missionary over in Africa, and he had very poor health, and uh, he had recently lost a family member, and his children had some kind of sickness, and he had actually been separated from his family for like a month or to his wife didn't know whether he was alive or dead, and he had all his separations, and, and in that time, he's sharing this personal testimony with us, and, and, and we're standing there, and we're in awe. You know, the class is like, oh, wow. And he finished after he explained how God had seen him through all of that, and it was such a dramatic moment because the entire class just stopped, and we began to pray, thanking and praising the Lord for his great work. Personal testimonies are powerful. It is something that God uses to speak to our hearts as we listen to others who, who have had God work in their life. It's an amazing thing. So often we take them for granted. I remember growing up every Sunday night, testimony and praise time. And we would go up and we'd say, okay, now Mrs. Jones is going to talk about this, and Mrs. So-and-so, and Mr. So-and-so is going to talk about that. But yet now as I look back, I see the great value because there's an encouragement to recognize that God works in our lives. And we see that, and we hear that through people sharing what God has done in their lives. And we need to do that frequently. In fact, this morning, I'm going to share with you a testimony. A testimony, not mine, but one found in Psalm 116. So if you'll turn your Bibles there. Here's a testimony of a man who has seen great difficulty. And yet, as we read his testimony, and as we hear the testimonies of others, we are encouraged, and we are blessed. And God is good. So here is a personal testimony. In Psalm 116, I told you, I explained to you why I say it's a personal testimony. The pronouns I, me, and my are found in every one of these verses, with the exception of three. And so here is a man expressing to us his personal testimony. As we read through it, uh, we enter into his thoughts and we begin to identify with them. He has gone through such a great trial. Look at verse 3 with me and notice what he says. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol lay hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Here's a man who is going through a very, very difficult time. And yet as we look at the difficult time, notice what he does. 
He says, then I called upon the name of the Lord. Now, we're not sure of the context, but this man is caught up in a desperate situation. And what he did in such circumstances and what has taken place in this passage, we can learn and make application. And so before we begin to look at this personal testimony, let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Not only does it teach about you, Father, but we see your relationship to others and how you work in the lives of individuals. And knowing that you work in their lives, we're aware that you work in our lives as well. I ask that we learn from this man's testimony in Psalm 116 how wonderful and how great you are, how compassionate and loving you are. And I pray, Father, that our hearts will be sensitive, that when we go through difficult times, we'll be reminded of how you've taken care of your children, and that we will be encouraged, and we will be strengthened, and we will be instructed, and our time will not be spent totally on our disaster or our difficulty, but rather it will be upon you and how you see us through it and give us strength. We thank you, Father, for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the first 11 verses, if we want to look at it, we can divide this passage into two chapters. And the first one is verses 1 through 11, what God has done. The psalmist is going to begin, and notice what he says here as he begins. And he says what God has done. He said, he starts off like this declaration. He says, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. And why is it that he loves the Lord? He tells us right in this passage. He says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice, my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. And so here's the first thing we learn about this testimony, that God is attentive to our prayers. Now we know that. We know that. If I said to you and asked you this morning, is God attentive to your prayers? Does God hear you when you pray? Yes, but there are times when we say that, but we're not thinking it through. When we don't stop, we don't stop and think about how has God answered my prayer? How has God inclined his ear to my need? We begin to look and we begin to see that he loves the Lord because the Lord heard his prayer. Any affection that we have towards the Lord, any privilege of prayer we have is all because of what Jesus has done. Remember what 1 John tells us. It tells us very clearly that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And so here's a man who sees the acts of God in his life, and he says, I love the Lord. And the first reason I love the Lord is because he hears my prayers. That is such a comforting thing. You know that old song, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody knows my sorrow, nobody knows my trouble, but Jesus. That's the idea. That's the idea. That's the first thing he learns. As he's going through this trial, he says, I love the Lord. I love him because he listens to me. He hears me. You know, there are times when you can talk to your spouse, and there are times when you can talk to your friends, and there's times when you can talk to your pastor, and there's times you can talk to anybody and all of those things, but there is no one, no one, no one in the entire world like Jesus whom you can talk to. He knows our hearts. He knows what's inside us. He knows how deceitful we can be. He knows our deepest needs. He knows things about us that we don't know about ourselves. And we can go to him and we say, Lord, I don't understand if my pride is in the way or if this is that. But Lord, you know my heart. And he hears us. And he hears us. God's love is demonstrated. And listen to what he says. As he, as, because he has heard my voice. He has heard my pleas for mercy. He has inclined his ear to me. Do you notice? God listens. God listens. God listens. One time was not enough. He wants you to know, I love the Lord because he's heard my prayer. He's listened to my voice. And then he says, he's inclined his ear to hear me. As though God is bending over and saying, speak to me. What is it? 
That's the first thing he learned in this trial. Remember, he, none of this would have occurred if he wasn't in a desperate situation. But his testimony says, I was in a desperate situation, but let me tell you something. Let me tell you what God has done for me. He has heard my voice. He has heard my voice. And he says, as a result of this, I will call upon him as long as I live. And you know what's interesting about that statement? Do you notice he said, I will call upon him as long as I'm in trouble? I will call upon him as long as this trial lasts? No, he doesn't say that now. After he gets a glimpse of God's listening to him and God's attentiveness to him, what does he say? I love the Lord and I will call upon him forever. It is a wonderful lesson to learn. That I will call upon the name of the Lord. And what's true for the psalmist is true for us. What's wonderful about Scripture and what it teaches us about the Lord's Prayer is that He's not only listening to us. He does listen to us every time we go to Him. But isn't it amazing, as you read, for example, in, uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, as you look at that passage, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The point I'm making here is not only is God attentive, not only does he hear our pleas for mercy, not only does he hear us, but he also, in Hebrews 4, says, because we have such a great high priest in Jesus who's experienced all the experience, therefore, because you know he understands you completely, come to the throne of grace. He's saying, come, come and speak. It's not only that he hears us, but God invites us to pray. Amen. Doesn't that make you just feel a little bit guilty when you skip prayer meeting? I, I'm just thinking out loud here the conviction that the Lord brings to my own heart. You know, a brother or sister, you know, we talk to them about their things. And how often do we stop and say, hey, let's pray about this. I don't understand what's going on, but God does. I don't understand what the need is here, but God does. I don't understand what's going on in your heart, but God does. You see, and it's not only God does, but he says, come on, come talk to me. Come, I'm inviting you to pray. I want to hear it. And then he tells us, he, he tells us very clearly that we may receive mercy, which is the forgiveness, and that we might find help in our time of need because of what Jesus has done. Let us draw near to mercy and find grace in our time of need. We, like the, like the psalmist, can be encouraged as we consider the work of God in our life. Not only does he hear, not only does he invite us, but one wonderful more thing, he's given us this wonderful privilege. Without the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, we would have nowhere to turn. We would have nowhere to go. And yet he says, he hears me, he invites me, he listens to me. What a wonderful thing it is. And notice here that he's very poetic in how he presents it, because he says three different times or three different ways how God hears him. Notice what he says in the first verse. I love the Lord because he heard my voice, he heard my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. And then you go to verse 3. The snares of death can pass me, the pangs of Sheol lay hold of me, I suffer distress and anguish. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. Three different trials, three different times the Lord heard him. He's trying to put it together so it's something the way, in a way in which you can remember. And like the psalmist, we respond, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined my ear. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. That's the first thing that he learns. He tells, I love the Lord because he's heard me. I love the Lord because he's listened to me. I'm going to call upon him all of my life. But there's something else in verses 5 through 7. 
that we have in this trial. Take a look with me, if you will, at verses 5 through 7. Because when he says, Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And we know that he's been delivered. In verse 5, he says, Gracious is the Lord, and righteous our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought, no, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. Here's the second thing that God has done in this trial, this personal testament. God has revealed himself. And not just, oh, yes, I know there's a God, but rather in a very specific way. He reveals himself. The psalmist, uh, through this trial, God has revealed a couple of things. Notice what he says. The Lord is gracious. He has heard my voice and he has delivered me. God is gracious. The Lord is, in, in Psalm 103, verse 8, we read these words. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And as I read these things that God has revealed to him, remember, this is God revealing himself to us, and it's almost like an encouragement. I'm going to go plea and state my case before the Lord. I'm going to pray. Why? Because God is gracious. Psalm 114.4, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. gracious. The idea of stooping down and taking us up in his arms, that's the idea of the compassion here that the Lord has for us. And so not only has he heard his prayer and answered his prayer and, and, and has elicited this response from him, he says the Lord is gracious. And then he goes on and says the Lord is righteous. Now that's kind of an interesting thing for him to say because when he says that the Lord is righteous, he's saying that God does nothing wrong. But he just got done telling how the pangs of Shul surrounded him and, and uh, the, the snares of death encompassed him and I was suffered and distressed and anguished. And then he turns around and what does he say? God is righteous. God's right. He didn't actually exactly feel that way perhaps during the trial, but you understand he's looking back now as a personal testimony of what God has done. And he said, God is righteous. What he did was right. He didn't understand it at the time, but he does now. And he says, God is righteous. He, in all that he does, he's just in every action. He is faithful in keeping his promises. He says, God is righteous. I think about that guy in John chapter 9. It's an amazing story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Here's this guy, he was born blind. All of his life he was blind. He sat there and begged, and his disciples came up to Jesus, and he and, and Jesus said, who sinned? Did this man sin, or did his parents sin that he was born blind? Whose fault is this? And you're ready to hear the answer. Okay, let's find out. Did his parents sin? Or did he sin? We don't know how he could have sinned in the womb, but who knows, you know? So they're asking this question, and what does the Lord Jesus say? This man was born blind so the works of God might be manifested. Do you think after Jesus gave him sight, he said, man, I wish I wasn't born for blind for all those years? No. He understood God is righteous. And what God does in our life, even through our most difficult times, understand, and he learned this through his trial, that God is righteous. It is right what God is doing. Whether it be disciplining us for our sin or blessing us or whatever he's doing, understand God, God, God is righteous in all that he does. And then, and then he says, not only is God gracious, not only is God righteous, but then he goes on, he says, God is full of compassion. It's not like God doesn't care. It doesn't matter how difficult your trial is or what you're going through. He says God is compassionate. He has compassion. He embraces us in our times of trial is the idea. Listen to Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. Wonderful way of, of describing God's compassion. He says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those that fear him. Now notice this, and this is the wonderful thing. For he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. He understands. It's an amazing thing. 
You know, that, that, that God, when he hears us coming to him in prayer, and he is righteous, and he is gracious, but he is compassionate, and he understands. I understand your frailty. I understand you're only human. I understand that there are things in your life that you cannot accomplish on your own. I understand all these things. And, and you know, there, there's a sense of compassion. The Father shows compassion to his children. The Lord, and then he goes on to say that the Lord protects the simple-hearted. And, and when he says simple-hearted, he's not, it's not a derogatory expression, but rather he says he protects those who need help. He protects those who are frail. I mean, let's face it. I mean, if we're absolutely honest with ourselves, there are times in our life when we know our own frailty. You know, and if you don't know it now, you will when you get older. I mean, that's the way it works. And, and here is this frailty, uh, and God understands it. And he understands our weakness. And notice as he goes on and says this, Gracious is the Lord, righteous is, righteous and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You see, he stops in his trial and he learns all these things about God. And what does he say? Return, my soul, to rest. Look, I don't mean to be flippant or anything, but it's like this. God has it. He has it. No matter what your trial is, no matter what difficult, no matter how lonely you feel, you're not alone. God is gracious. God is righteous. God is compassionate. God hears your prayer. God invites you to pray. He does all these things. And he says, return to my rest. Why? Because God has got it. That is such a hard, easy thing to say, but a difficult thing to do. Because you know, when we're going through the difficulty, it's hard to say, you've got this, Lord. Because we don't feel that way, but we know it is true. We know that those things are true. The blessing is not limited. When we talk about this, the blessing is not limited to the deliverance. It's part of it. But one of the blessings that the psalmist is declaring is, I've no God better. I've seen God personally in his graciousness. I've seen him in his righteousness. I've seen him in his compassion. And, and, and through knowing and learning God, he has drawn closer together with him. He's drawn, as he goes and he recognizes what God has done, he gets drawn closer in, and his affection for the Lord increases. So he says, I love the Lord, because he heard me. And I learned that he was compassionate, and that he was righteous, and that he was loving, and I've learned all of these things. Let me give you an illustration. When I was, when I was 15, my father bought this car. And when I was 17, I finally got to drive it. And, uh, you know, for you motorheads, I'll describe it. For those of you who are not motorheads, um, just realize that it was the meanest, fastest, coolest car in town. But my father bought this 1964 Grand Prix when I was, when I was 15, and I got to drive it when I was 17. I had a 389, three deuces, posi rear, four speed. I mean, that thing would fly. And it, I don't know why they would even give the keys to a 17-year-old frail boy like myself. But I remember having the car out one night, and I was pulling out of Rio's Mart up in Mug Hill. It's not there anymore. They tore it down to put 322 through. But I was, come, I was pulling out of the driveway, and of course, you know, there was a kid there, and he says, jump on it. I said, oh, no, no, no. I can't jump on this car. Of course I did. Man, I put that thing to the floor. It took off. Bam, bam, bam. All this smoke, all this noise. I blew up the motor. It was, <laughs> so, you know, I had about three quarters of a mile to go, so I nursed it home, and I put it in the driveway, and I go into the house, and I say to my dad, Dad, I, said, I, I think I blew up the motor. What? 
come on, let's go. So he says, I go outside, and he stands on the porch, and he's looking down on the driveway, and he's standing up on the porch. He goes, start it up. And I start it up. Bam, 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 all over again, all this smoke. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh, brother, here it comes. It's coming, man, it's coming. And here's what happened. He turned around and walked back into the house. Not angry, no doors were slammed, there was no stomping, he just turned around and went back in the house. And, and I always remember that, because I was in a great trial. It was, it was uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, this is, my life is over. But no, you see, uh, I learned that day that my father was gracious, because he forgave me. I learned that day that my father was righteous. He could have done anything he wanted to do. It was his car. He could have said anything. I understand that day that my father, I understood a little bit about his compassion because he understood what it was like to be a 17-year-old boy with a hot car and all of that temptation. Um, and it was just a wonderful thing. And here's the blessing part of it. You see, uh, I learned, the greater blessing was that I learned of my father. And because of his benevolence, um, even though I loved him, my, my affection grew even more because I knew more about him that I didn't know before. I mean, we all get this picture of our fathers like, you know, but all of a sudden, you know, it was, okay, it's all right. Of course, I had to help put the new motor in, but that was all right. But that's the way it is with the Lord when we go through trials, you see. We go through difficult times, and they can be the most difficult but yet in those difficult times, as we go to the Lord in prayer, he begins to reveal his compassion. He begins to reveal his righteousness. He begins to reveal all of these wonderful attributes. And as we see the Lord's kindness and compassion and his grace towards us, and, his, and, and, and actually have a sense of his embrace and leading us and carrying us through this, our affection grows. But here's the sad part. How often when we go to the Lord do we even stop and think about those things? Let's say you're late for work one morning. We'll make it real simple. I'm late for work. Oh, man, I hope I hit these red, hope I hit these red lights. Don't hit these red lights. And you get to work, and you pray, Lord, please let me get to work on time. I have such an important business meeting. And you get there. You might say, thank you, Lord, for getting me here on time. But do you think about what the Lord was teaching you through those delays? Do you think about what he was trying to do in your life? You see, there's no coincidences in our life. We're God's children. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God is in the process of conforming us to the image of his Son. And we recognize that. And part of that recognition is to see him and to see his work in our life. And so he loves the Lord because he hears his voice. God listens to his prayer. God reveals his compassion and his, and, his, and his love and his righteousness and his mercy to us. And there's a third thing here in verses 8 through 11 is something else that we learn, and that is that God meets our every need. No one in this world, no one in this world, no one in this world can meet your needs, all of your needs. We minister to one another and we do meet each other's needs, but there is only one who can meet 100% of our needs, and that's the Lord. And do you notice what he says here? The reason uh, he is at rest, and he says, be at rest. Look what he says in verses 8 through 11. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I am my alarm 
All man, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. And he begins to compare. When he says all mankind is liars, he's comparing the faithfulness and righteousness of God with men. Everybody lets us down sometime, not on purpose. But he's saying, don't depend on men, but rather depend upon the Lord. Because the Lord can meet all our needs. My soul from death. My tears from cry, my, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And I want you to notice one more thing here that I didn't mention earlier, but do you notice how personal it is? It's not somebody else's tears he's talking about. The Lord, the Lord has kept my eyes, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, my soul from death. He has done all of those things. All of those things. God is the only one who can meet all our needs. And when he does that, he does it for his glory. You see, we're instruments in God's hands. We channel uh, the work of God in our lives. And when people begin to see the work of our God in our lives, they begin to look to him and to his glory. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 1.27, uh, how, how God operates among his people. He says, but God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and, de and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And here's the reason God does all those things. So that no human being might boast in his presence. God meets are every need in his unique way for his glory. That's why he does it. Here is a man who went through all of this, the snares of death, the pangs of Sheol, distress and anguish, and yet here God is being glorified because we're seeing God at work in his life. And it's the same for us. The Lord works in our life to, to reveal his glory. He meets our every need for his glory. Remember that? I, there was a movie out a while ago called Soul Surfer. It was about this girl who was a surfer. She was a believer, and she was surfing, and she lost her arm to a shark attack. Uh, and they made this movie about her. And I saw this interview. I didn't see the movie, but I saw this interview, and I said, interesting. Let's see what this girl has to say. And, they, and the interviewer said to her, uh, what do you think about this movie being made about you and your, and your newfound fame because you've lost your arm? You know what she said? She said something like this. She said, I am glad. I am, it's wonder, actually she used the word wonderful. It is wonderful for all to see how God works in a life. I thought to myself, what about me? I may not have anything as dramatic as losing an arm or something, but does God, do, do people that I know, people who do not know the Lord Jesus the way I do because they've never trusted in him, do, do they see the work of God in my life? Do they see the work of God in my life when I hit every red light on Route 70? Do they see the work of God in my life when a family member passes away? I, I want people to see the work of God in my life. And, and that's the idea here was taking place. You see, he's talking about what God has done. He's attentive to our prayers. He reveals himself to us. He meets our every need in a unique way for his glory. And now there's a transition. This is the second chapter. Look with me, if you will, at verse 12. It's a great question. He says this after he's talked about all that God has done for him, he says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? How in the world can I pay the Lord back? I mean, God has blessed us in so many wonderful ways. He has been so gracious and so good to us, even the very fact that we're sitting here together with a body of believers worshiping and praying and, and looking at his word and, and, and dwelling upon him and his greatness and all of that. He's done all of this. What can I do? What can I do to render to, to the Lord what is good for me? And you say, 
Well, in reality, yeah, we can't do anything. I mean, you'll never be able to totally repay the Lord. But he says something here that's very interesting. He gives us three ways in which he is going to repay the Lord. Now, when I say repay, it's not like, well, the Lord did this, so I did this for him. Now we're equal. That's not the idea. But he is so drawn to the Lord in his affection and his gratefulness to the Lord. He says, I'm going to do three things. And the first thing he says is this. I will lift up the cup of my salvation, in verse 13. He says, I will lift up the cup of my salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Now, interesting phrase, what does it mean? I said to you, hey, did anybody lift up the cup of their salvation this morning? No. Here's the idea, what's taking place. When he talks about lifting up the cup of his salvation, the idea was that God had blessed him. And he's holding up this cup and saying, I want more. I want more of your blessing. I want more of your work in my life. I want more of your grace and your compassion and your mercy and your deliverance in my life. Now, at first, that sounds a little bit selfish. I'm going to thank the Lord. Give me more. That's the way it sounds. But that's not what he's doing, you see. What he's doing is he's glorifying the Lord. What the Lord has given me is so wonderful and so good. I want more, Lord. Rain your life upon me. Rain your blessings upon me. Be compassionate upon me. Lord, I want to experience more of your compassion. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he, he prayed three times that the Lord would take away this thorn in the flesh? We don't know. Most commentators think it was a, a physical ailment that he had because the word flesh is in there. But he had this. He says, three times I prayed. And then the Lord answers, said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he says, I'll rejoice in my situation. When I am weak, then he is strong. And so he's holding up the cup of salvation, and he's saying, Lord, I'm weak, I can't do it, but you can continue to work through me. That's what he's saying here. I want more of the Lord. I want more of what he's doing. I want more of his care, more of his grace, more of his mercy. More, receiving from the Lord. He desires more grace and compassion. He desires, basically, more of the Lord. You see, when we take the time and we start thinking about God's blessing in our life and what he has done, we don't want less. We want more, and that's not wrong because we're showing and expressing our dependence upon me. I can't do it on my own, but the Lord can. I can't make it, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, that's the idea. I will lift up the cup of my salvation. And then he goes on, and he says this, and he says this twice, which is interesting, both in verses 14 and 18. Notice what he says in verse 14. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Now look at verse 18. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And what he's saying there is, we don't know what vows he made during this trial to the Lord, but this he does say, that I'm going to give glory to the Lord but did you notice what he said there in front of all his people? It is a public testimony. It is a public declaration. God has worked in my life. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Let me share with you what the Lord Jesus Christ did in dying on the cross for my sins. Let me share with you how God in his grace and his mercy and his righteousness have led our family through this trial. It is a great opportunity when the Lord delivers you not only to share it with one another in terms of believers because we are encouraged and strengthened by that, but what a wonderful opportunity it is to share with those who don't even know the Lord. And you can talk to them about the Lord's compassion and you can talk to them about the Lord's mercy, and you can talk about the Lord's righteousness. You can talk about all of those things to them because you're saying, this is what the Lord's done for me, and I'm going to declare it publicly. I remember, I remember uh, at a baptismal service, and I, and I was baptizing 
a number of children from this family and had this one girl uh, and she was eight years old and normally when, when I would do the baptismal services I would have them you know share a testimony and this poor girl she got, she got in the baptismal pool and, and she couldn't I had to pick her up like this and hold her up to, to speak in the microphone for a testimony and and I said and so I said to her why do you want to be baptized and these are her words it was an amazing it was the best testimony of the night I love the Lord Jesus and I want everybody to know it I was like, whoa, I put her back down. That was it. Message done. She's, she's declared the glory of God. It was wonderful. But you see, I paid my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. I'm going to honor him publicly. I'm going to honor him in all that he does. That's the thing. Oh, the Lord is just so wonderful to us. You know, I will render unto the Lord all these things. And he says, I will pay my vows publicly. I will lift up the cup of salvation. And then he says this. I will, in verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. He's going to give thanksgiving to the Lord. We don't know what sacrifices are involved, but it's a voluntary thing. That's the idea. A voluntary sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice for the Lord's sake. And in the process of sacrificing, what else am I going to do? I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. It's not a begrudging thing. Well, okay, you know, the church is having a drive. I guess I better give a little bit extra here. Or, or oh, I better get up for church this morning. So-and-so will be this. But no, I'm going to do these things that, 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 that may be inconvenient for me or whatever. He said, but I'm going to do them because I love the Lord. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how I feel. I love the Lord. He's mine. I'm going to do these things. And to make these sacrifices and continue to call upon his name. To call upon the Lord uh, long after the deliverance. So what has the Lord done? Well, in this testimony, he's been attentive to his prayers. He reveals his grace, compassion, and righteousness and mercy. He meets our every need. What will I render to the Lord? I trust this morning as we look at this personal testimony that it will speak to our own hearts and talk to us about what we need to do and how we may hold up the cup of salvation and how we, we may pay back our vows publicly and how we may continue to call upon the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful, Lord. Lord, we are overwhelmed with your goodness and your kindness and your grace and your mercy. Father, we're thankful for the psalmist whom you burdened to put into your word through the inspiration of the Spirit. Uh, and we ask, Father, that we would be keenly aware of your great blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.